doctor, 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 the podcast where four academics of color sit around and discuss great books. Each episode will feature a free-flowing conversation about one book, or something else, that leads us to a broader conversation about race, culture, and politics. All the things that keep us gabbing when we're hanging out in coffee shops or in each other's homes. I'm Anita Chikatur, the host for the show, and I teach in the Department of Educational Studies at Carleton College. I'm Adriana Estel. I teach in English and American Studies, also at Carleton College. I'm Crystal Moten. I teach African-American history at McAllister College. I'm Todd Lawrence. I teach African-American literature and culture, folklore, and cultural studies in the English department at the University of St. Thomas. <laughs> Look, I did it right. Without yeah, I was going to say, we all remembered where we work. And Everyone we was looking at so. me. They were like, is he going to screw it up? Um, so before we actually jump into this episode, we just want to take a moment to acknowledge that Entezake Shange passed this weekend. And all of us actually on the podcast team were lucky enough this month to go see Penumbra Theater's production of her Kuryo poem uh, for Colored Girls. And so I just want to take a moment to see if people wanted to say something about her. Yeah, I'll say something. Um, that book uh, for Color Girls means an awful lot to me, and it meant an awful lot to me when I first was introduced to it, which I can't really remember. I think I said this uh, in, a, in a previous episode. I can't remember exactly when um, I was introduced to it, but I'm sure I was introduced to it by you know a fellow graduate student. Yeah. Um, and I read it, and I read it, and I <laughs> read it, and I read it again, and I marked it up, and, you know, it... it it was one of those books that um, people often said, you know, this is a book that represents black men in a negative way. Mm -hmm. And I never thought that, you know, but I, I, I did sort of group her in with, you know, writers like Alice Walker and Toni Morrison, um, Gail Jones and mm -hmm. Gloria Naylor and all those sort of, um, you know, mid early like 70s and 80s writers, black women writers who did write about. Um, create some black male characters that were um, that were not good guys. But hmm. for me, it was like they were writing about their experience. They were writing about the experience that women have had. And when I read For Colored Girls, I never read it that way. I always thought, I always saw myself as, you know, trying to be Tucson Jones and not Bo Willie Brown, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I also experienced it as, this is a gift to you as a black man to be able to hear the stories of black women from mm -hmm. their own mouths, the mm -hmm. stories that they don't tell, um, that often don't get told, you know. So to me, it was like it opened up this amazing world. And so then to have the opportunity to see it um, this past uh, these past couple of weeks, and I saw it twice, so it was, that was really great. Um, I just, you know, I think I came as near to crying as I'm not a very cryy person. Mm -hmm. I cry like once every 10 years and then it's really <laughs> wet. Really we did some discussions we need like, to have there about masculinity and emotions. Well, I, I want, yeah, no, it's probably because, you know, of my conditioning. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I come close to crying when I saw it both times. Um, so, yeah, thank you, Intozaki Shange. I love, you know, in the, in the play hearing her say um, my own things, and Tozaki, my own things, mm -hmm. and the fact that you know, yep. she has this name that is such an um, embodiment of self and empowerment, you know, so, mm -hmm. yeah. Can I just really quickly point out that Anita, who never cries at anything, and we see a lot of things together, cried. It's true. Mm -hmm. And it's I, true. on the other hand, teared up, but I did not cry. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I cried. I cried. And... Um, I found For Colored Girls when I found my voice. Mm -hmm. um, and so I encountered For Colored Girls when I was in high school. And it was, I, I before I found For Colored Girls, I had always been known as kind of the quiet girl. The girl who had a few friends, and I would be intimate with the friends who I had, but no one really knew who Crystal was mm -hmm. until I went away um, to this uh, youth theological institute summer program um and one of my friends there performed sorry mm. um and that her performance of it and the words of that po poem just enveloped me and i had to go research where it came from 
Um, and when I found out where it came from, I kind of poured over the entire choreo poem, and then I performed it myself. Um, and so me performing uh, Sorry my senior year was me kind of stepping into myself as a as a young black woman hmm. and so I've had that experience I've ha I've carried sorry with me and for colored girls ever since I was in high school um, and so the text um, and what it means um, is so meaningful to me and even before I knew the context of for colored girls um, I felt this deep connection to it and so like you mentioned, Todd, I've, I never saw it as kind of this attack on black men and black masculinity. Instead, I saw it as, you know, someone seeing and recognizing the experience of, of black women and black girls. Mm -hmm. And that's always how I've understood it, um, as being a voice for black women when there was not one. Can I say that if you have not listened to our previous episode at the very end, mm -hmm. there is an outtake where Crystal does... Uh, Recites, I'm sorry. Yeah. So uh, check that out. Check that out. Yeah. I um, uh, was really struck by the performance at Penumbra Theater. Um, and your words, Crystal, are, I feel like, echoing with my takeaway there, which is, so it was a multiracial cast. Um, and it was, it was beautifully done. So while at the beginning I was thinking, wait, what does it mean to have not all black women mm -hmm. in these roles? By the end, I just felt this incredible bond of material, materialized sisterhood. Mm -hmm. The choreography and the way that they were put into relationship with each other was intense. They were constantly touching each other, supporting each other, caressing each other, loving each other on stage. Um, and actually what I came away with, I think, you know, like my not crying was just an artifact of right, like chance, right? Because I came away with the sense of like, doesn't everybody deserve to be loved and seen and mm. and held this way? Mm -hmm. And I that vision of hers is mm -hmm. is incredibly meaningful. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Ndisaki Shanga. Yeah. Rest in power and peace. Mm -hmm. Um, and actually, we're going to be talking about um, something today that I think will get us talking about black girlhood. So I think it'll be a good um, sort of transition there. So in this episode, we're not actually discussing a book. <laughs> what? But, but it's a movie that is based on a book. Uh, the summer, we actually did a two-episode young adult novel special. And one of the books we discussed was Angie Thomas's The Hate You Give. And as you all know, because I know that you've all listened to that episode... We've had some problems with the book, as uh, I'll say. As Crystal summarized it, we did our academic thing and talked about the book we thought should have been written rather than the book that was written. Uh, and we wanted to talk about the movie version of the book because we wanted a second chance to discuss some of the issues raised by the book and now the movie and to continue to think about how racist violence, police brutality, and black resistance is p depicted in popular culture. So um, hopefully a lot of you have seen the movie, but the movie stars Amanda Sternberg as Star Carter and is directed by George Tillman Jr. And before we dig in, just a reminder that when we discuss our books, or in this case, the movie, we will talk about everything. So consider this your perpetual, universal, all-encompassing spoiler alert. In other words, we're all about spoilers and not about summaries. No summaries. No summaries. Never. <laughs> okay. Never. So I will start off by saying that I ended up liking the movie a lot more than I thought I would, but maybe it's because I went in with relatively low expectations. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I did appreciate... The focus on Star, like on a young black woman and about her coming to voice. I mean, I, I really loved, Crystal, what you just said. And I feel like thinking about that and thinking about Star kind of coming to her herself and her own voice. Um, and I thought that in the movie, even though, uh, you know, there was like this interesting thing about like, you know, the emphasis on like code switching. But mm -hmm. it kind of felt like in the movie in both contexts, right, she was actually kind of quiet and like she actually had to find her voice in both those settings, right? That there wasn't like a setting where she had her voice and she didn't, right. even though some of it was like portrayed that way. Um, so I guess I'll start off with that, right? Because I think, you know, one of the reviews we read, I think it was the New York Times one talked about how there's been all these movies recently kind of thinking about um, you know, police brutality and all of these things. And, you know, I watched Black Klansman, I watched Blind Spotting, and I watched Sorry to Bother You. And I think one of the things that like really stood out to me in all of those movies were that like the women were just not great characters right I mean I feel like they were like basically there to maybe right even when they were there to basically like sort of um 
make the men kind of, you know, more aware or something or something like that. That's, I feel like what I really appreciate about this is that it's a young black girl who's at the mm-hmm. center of the mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. So I'll start there. And I don't know what, you know, if uh, people want to pick up on that. Well, I do appreciate that the story centers on Star um, and that we see um, we see her family life. We see her and it, and and it's a it's a healthy family life from the appearances of mm-hmm. what we see in the film. Um, we see her in school and we, we see her in all her various contexts. Um, and so I do appreciate that the film focuses on her. Um, but I'm just going to get right into a critique I have of that, <laughs> yeah. even though the film focuses on her. Um, we only see her galvanized into action at the death of her male friend. But we come to find out that this is the second death mm. that she has experienced. Mm-hmm. And the first um, uh, shooting death that she experienced was of um, one of her um, her close um, black girl friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get it. I understand this happened when she was really young. And so maybe right. it didn't politicize her um, in the way that this second one did. Mm. Um, but I just, the, 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 the centering, the, even though we get the centering of, you know, a black girl story is still filtered through the death of a man, mm-hmm. a black man. And that mirrors the way we think about police mm-hmm. brutality That's, and yeah. mass incarceration in this country. Yeah. That even when we're trying to think about black women and center them, yeah. it's still um, the secondary impact. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So what about a conversation when we really center black women and girls? What does mm-hmm. that look like? Mm-hmm. Um, Can I? add something mm-hmm. really quickly that I think is maybe slightly mm-hmm. perpendicular but I can't get out of my head that um, and correct me if I'm wrong the movie reframes that friendship between the three mm-hmm. kids right mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. in the movie we get this Harry Potter magic right. wand sort of yep. connection right um, and in the original in the novel I feel like I mean it's clear that they're all close friends but I also feel like they were younger right. she died mm-hmm. like at a they younger age yeah mm-hmm. they were 10. Is that the same in the book as in the movie? I think so. That when she, when she died? Yeah. I thought that was the same. But I didn't think that the thing, that it was the same with them being this close group of friends, the three of them. Right. That's yeah. different, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know how that changes it in your mind. It, well, so like this, this whole Harry Potter, they're a trio in the movie, I feel like actually really uh, emphasizes the importance of your critique. Mm-hmm. Right, because mm-hmm. there is a way in both she and Khalil mm-hmm. actually, right? Because that is also then his not paying attention to this death of a right. young girl. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I mean, I feel like it was like the that fact that she was ten, but I also feel like it was like this interesting thing about it. She's coming to voice because of this larger movement, mm-hmm. right? Because of actually, Black Lives Matter did not exist when she was ten. Well, yeah, right. It did not mm-hmm. exist at mm-hmm. like that time. You know, uh, when she was doing it. So I feel like it is kind of this interesting, it was an interesting moment for me because I feel like one of the critiques we read was basically like, this is not a Black Lives Matter movie, which I'm like, well, A, I don't know that it purports to be. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if it's been framed well, as such or I don't know if it's justice like... Justice for Justice supposed to be <laughs> just, Black, just <laughs> Black Lives Matter. It is wow. a pretty terrible name for an organization. Um, justice for Justice. <laughs> so, so I was thinking about, I mean, but I think that even Black Lives Matter has some of the same problems, right? Even mm-hmm. though it was three women, you know, Black women mm-hmm. who started it, I think it sort of still ends up centering right right sort of black male experiences Mm -hmm. with police violence and Mm -hmm. things like that so i feel like it's an interesting moment both in that i think you know the fact that she comes to voice a she's older but b it's kind of this particular historical moment right which but then replicates right exactly because i mean the thing about the thing about this is that the both the book and the film you know is written during an era where yes we have black lives matter but we also have say your name like we have the work mm-hmm. of kimberly crenshaw right. who she's been trying to say and use her african-american policy form to say that hey we yeah. can't ignore gender and we can't ignore black women and so in the context of these organizations that are existing i just can't excuse someone you know for still perpetuating this in the text and then in the film. It'd be different if we didn't have these critiques out there and if this wasn't a 2016 book. But or mo- movie. Movie, yeah. book, mm-hmm. movie, yeah. Mm-hmm. But African American Policy Forum and Kimberly Crenshaw, mm-hmm. you know, they've been yeah. in existence since 2000, 2012, maybe 13. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So mm-hmm. that, I don't think there's, that's, there's, that's a, a, right. a good excuse. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess the fact that actually mm-hmm. her um, friend Natasha, is that her name? 
Natasha was actually killed by um, a black gang member, mm-hmm. right? So which also I think yeah. gets a, like the other big sort of like yeah. critique yeah. of like the yeah. thing that's come up. So, mm-hmm. but yeah. I don't know. Did you want to say something? Well, I um, I wanted to, t- to ask you guys. So you said a couple of things. And I heard as you guys were talking, so coming to voice, so this idea of coming to voice for Star in the movie as being an objective that the movie mm-hmm. uh, puts out for us as, you know, this is what we, we want her to, to do or to have happen. Um, and also, um, what does what does activism mean? Because mm. I don't feel like we see much activism really in the movie, that the movie is it really sort of has this kind of like really warped or incomplete yeah. um, mm-hmm. representation of what activism is. Is it just like stumbling your way into a protest and being lifted up on a car and saying like, you know, Khalil lives, Khalil lives, and then running when the when the tear gra- gas comes? I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't... I mean, that's, that's obviously a part of an activist movement. It's part of a campaign for justice is protesting and everything that comes along with that. But what about the sort of organizing and right. sort of like everything that sort of comes after that sustains a movement? Mm-hmm. We don't see any of that. Mm-hmm. Which was our big critique of the book as well, by the way. Right, right. So <laughs> right. it's basically it's basically the the book and the movie both basically seem mm-hmm. to present this as an individual the experience of an individual person, right? As opposed to a, mm-hmm. being a part of a movement. And, and more than that, they they spectacularize mm-hmm. activism, mm-hmm. right? They imagine it as something that's um, super performative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to something that, although, can I just say that I love Issa Rae? So, like, it was actually kind of a joy to see her <laughs> yeah. walk out and, yes. you know, into the church. And then, like, you get hints through that character, not much, right. but you get hints of what it means to organize, mm-hmm. what it means to develop relationships mm-hmm. in order to build larger coalitions. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. But mostly you get this kind of spectacular activism yeah. that um, flashes and mm-hmm. then is gone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, and so I'm going to step back and, and kind of now rethink of how I'm thinking of activism. Because we could actually see um, Star's father Maverick as being an activist of sorts sure. with, yeah, his, sure. with his business mm-hmm. and, it, and it being kind of a community, uh, a site of community development and et cetera. And so I think, but I don't know, that's just me in my expanded ways of thinking of activism. I don't know if the average person would look at him and say, oh, he's an activist. Although what they would say is that he's connecting to an activist tradition right. because mm-hmm. of his um, kind of mandate that his kids know the the Black uh, Panther 10-point uh, platform right. right, in all of the ways that he tries to infuse kind of economic self-determination and self-sufficiency mm-hmm. and Black pride into his kids. But it's still very kind of nuclear family mm-hmm. focused mm-hmm. and you don't yep. see the impact on the community even though he has a community store right. like right. from that from that space you don't see yeah. how he's you know but yeah. but there's an interesting thing you know mm-hmm. that I'm thinking about since you said that is that is it would you agree that um, Big Mav is kind of the most complete portrayal of activism I mean in mm. terms of we get his motivations we mm-hmm. get where his his um, yeah. commitments come from mm-hmm. we see his actions and then we see or at least it suggested how they play out in mm-hmm. the community mm-hmm. whereas um, even Issa Rae's character mm-hmm. she's sort of like in and out a little right. bit and even um, Star who we right. I guess are supposed to understand is going to now you mm-hmm. know sort of be a committed person in the movement right. we don't get to see that right, right. but I was gonna say like I think that's it. kind of like it ends with her sort of I guess at least thinking that she can be an activist mm-hmm. right I, I guess that's how I read it like I get the like you know obviously mm-hmm. it's like spectacularized even though there were like mm-hmm. moments that I don't know if any of you saw um, the documentary about Ferguson whose streets no, so there's like the scene where you know when they're like lined up with the police and like mm-hmm. the protesters are like facing off literally like they're so close there's mm-hmm. actually um, an African-American woman police officer oh. and so that scene in the oh, wow. in the movie when you know when mm-hmm. the protesters like You're why are you on our that side mm-hmm. so it totally reminded me of that right and I think yeah. there were ways in which like some of the scenes of the tear gas and I mean obviously mm-hmm. start getting up on there was like you know sort of thing but right. they were right to me actually uh, very much parallels mm-hmm. in terms of like how oh, it was yeah. portrayed and like what it's seen and I guess I'm you know in some ways it's like star I guess I don't see this as like the end of like star's activism I oh, see it as right, the beginning right. of it so I right. guess I feel like you know in I, some I ways it's like my how could problem. you encourage young people to like come to it at right. least mm-hmm. right? my whole problem with it though is actually a kind of problem of adaptation Right, that the book 
for all the problems we had with it, had this much richer understanding of what it meant for Star to come into her voice. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just about this particular death that led her to a particular kind of activist Mm -hmm. voice. There was like this really important thread, which I still found like that was my favorite part of the novel, where she realizes that one of her white girlfriends Mm -hmm. is is racist, right? right? And that she is not, like it's microaggressions and kind of, and that she has to figure out what to do with that friend mm-hmm. and yeah no I'm laughing because that crazy scene in the movie that is not in the not book in right, right. she with snatches the, the like hairbrush yeah. oh yeah right and it was interesting because right. I was thinking yeah. about it I was like I think actually it would have been really cool if they played that as a fantasy scene mm. yeah because mm. right okay, like, so can I can yeah. I finish sorry, my thing sorry. and then yeah, we can yeah, go to the yeah, hairbrush yeah. scene yeah. because in the book what we get is this slow coming to knowledge right. this discussion with a racial ally Right, right, right. Of like whether or not she's being gaslit, right? Whether mm-hmm. or not these right, things the are the whole thing with back and forth. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Or who's the Maya. Uh, Maya with Maya, Maya, Maya right? Yeah. Um, which here in the movie she's a non-character, right? right? right. Yeah. Um, and then eventually a kind of boundary set right. with this friend that is not this like intense like she's the one who goes crazy, right? Right. right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, and so it's just maddening. Why do you think they put that in there? Oh my god! I was just like, what? It's so out of character. Yep. It's like I didn't understand. I think at that point. You can, guys can like totally tell me I'm wrong, but I think they're imagining that any audience is so empathetic with Star mm-hmm. that this is, you know, we are going, we side with her as she basically beats down the white racist <laughs> <laughs> with a hairbrush. Right. But, but, but you that, know, <laughs> you go ahead, you go ahead. I was going to say in the film, in the film, I think. And I can't, I'm trying to decide if, I'm trying to think about whether this is what I remember from the book or whether I felt this in the film, but that, that star was really grappling with these, with this, these two sides of herself, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, Who she was at her school and who she was in her community. And so I saw that scene kind of as a culmination Mm -hmm. when both sides collided, Mm -hmm. right? And so the hairbrush... (laughs) Is meaningful, right? It, it right, is. right, 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 in, right in, in black girlhood, and so well, and because Khalil, but also was because Khalil, Khalil. Right. exactly, right, shot, right. Yeah. yeah, right, and so I just saw that the, that was kind of a colliding of both of her worlds, but then mm-hmm. also a playing into like the stereotypical angry black woman, mm-hmm. um, angry black yeah. woman in a way that she is not, right? Like, I feel right. like that would have been maybe that would have been like an appropriate thing if like her. Um, stepsister is that the right term for Kenya, Kenya? Yeah. Okay. like had done half yeah. sister yeah. and so it was just like well and we got that at the party at the beginning which right. was a faithful adaptation right, right. right. where right. they okay. are basically mm-hmm. you know inviting her into kind of this group sociality through kind yeah. of like you know physical mm-hmm. violence mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. and she won't play right she refuses but then even in that in that scene because I think if you pair those two scenes together then you can say okay mm. clearly her reacting with the hairbrush that's out of her character. But then you could also flip that beginning scene and say, was she going through some type of identity decision there? Like was, you know, was her um, kind of persona from the white school influencing how she, who knows, right? Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. because I think the film just flip-flopped like Can I just say though, that I think it's that whiteness, when it's mm. been discovered to be racist, mm. cannot deal with just being ignored. Yeah. Mm. Like mm. it, like mm. it, it requires for white audiences some kind of like grand, resolution. angry recognition and resolution. Mm. Well, and, and that feeds into that notion. I mean, at that moment when we all, um, when we all can see that Haley is sort of the source of racism in the, in the book. I mean, this is another one of my critiques of the of the film is that it doesn't deal with structural issues. Yes, it hard. Right. It, it really doesn't. I mean, it only barely sort of deals with like police brutality and barely. violence as a structural issue. Barely. It's it's all these things are embodied in single people. Yes, it's embodied in one fifteen. It's mm-hmm. embodied in mm-hmm. Haley as this mm-hmm. this sort of like um, ignorant racist white person, mm-hmm. right? Um, and when she unloads on her in that moment, we, it's a kind of catharsis for right. an audience. Um, both, I mean, I, I was the audience I was watching this in, and it wasn't that big of an audience, but it was pretty vocal. And they were like, "Yeah!" You know, they, <laughs> they were. There was an exclamation in yeah. the theater at that. But I, I felt like 
Well, I don't think um, a majority white audience, which this was not, right, would have been upset about an exclamation at that point because mm-hmm. they also mm-hmm. see exactly. Haley as a villain, right? Right. But the point is that it's not just Haley that's a villain. It's the it's right. there. It's all these people yeah. who are villains or who are yeah. implicated in the situation right. that get off because the film doesn't engage that. And that's that really level. hard to portray, right? Like right. even in Black Klansman, and that was one of the things. It's like there's like you know this one like particularly racist white cop mm-hmm. who basically kind of gets his you know at the end he sort of gets arrested, although it was unclear whether he's actually getting arrested or not getting arrested. And then all of the other white cops who are like questionable in terms of their racial politics get to be the good guys who are like taking down this like real racist um so i think mm-hmm. there it is really difficult but i think there are moments when i think the movie sort of pushes back against that right like i was thinking about that interview that she does um with the you know on tv mm-hmm. and i feel like so there's like all these questions about khalil and khalil and khalil and she does push oh, back yeah, right she idea. does say mm-hmm. why are we spending all this time talking yeah. about khalil let's talk about the cop and it's still obviously mm-hmm. still about the individual cop perhaps right, but right. still right like i think she does make this attempt to kind of pivot towards kind of thinking about police brutality and the other scene where I think it does that is actually a conversation with the uncle where she like pushes him which does not happen in the book so that was an interesting so I do think that there's some of these moments when she's at least the movie's trying to get at this like system rather than the individual but Mm -hmm. but in both of those cases what's fascinating and i think you're absolutely right is that in the case of the interview Mm -hmm. that's when it drops and it moves to the next scene right so Mm -hmm. we actually like Mm -hmm. never get the Mm -hmm. um satisfaction of seeing the interviewer deal with and then and pivot to thinking about structure and the same thing with the uncle right he's left speechless Mm -hmm. but then that's it that's about the last time we really see him right right i think this is um this is to be expected, right? Yeah. So there are no solutions for structural violence um, and racialized structural violence. Mm-hmm. So it can ask the questions, but it can't actually imagine what right. that, what that looks, looks like. like. Yeah. Um, and I think like this might be a place to talk about the one institution here that is imagined to be pure and good is the family, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The, the mm-hmm. nuclear family. Right. And mm-hmm. I think what's really fascinating about that is that it was both intensely satisfying for me. Like, <laughs> I loved the scenes where sh- the star mm-hmm. is like, hanging out with her parents uh-huh. and just loves their love. Yeah. Yeah. And their love yeah. for each other, they had a chemistry. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just, I don't know, it made me super happy. Yeah. Yeah. But also, our enjoyment in that nuclear family is a conservative kind of yeah. pleasure. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, yeah, and I have to admit, like, I, I'm like you, I ate it up, you know. Yeah. Like, my favorite part of this entire movie was Biv Ma- Big Mav and Russell Hornsby. Like, I thought he, he was excellent oh, in that was role. Great. He's the best thing about the movie. I mean, mm. uh, Amanda, what's her name? Amanda uh, Stinberg. She's good too. Mm-hmm. Amanda, right? Amanda, Amanda. excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, she'll probably hear this. I'm, sure, so I'm sorry, Amanda. <laughs> um, <laughs> I still love you. <laughs> but Big Mav, man, he is the yeah. best, best thing about this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's not hard for me to mm-hmm. sort of like center him in that role as a black man. It doesn't really challenge me at all, but um, so I, I did really embrace him, but I, I wanted to move back to what you said before about not um, the movie not being able to offer answers or not being able to imagine answers. And I wonder if um, this is another one of the sort of genre questions that we've been mm-hmm. kind of grappling with mm-hmm. o- over the whole run of our of our show. And the some of the moments for me in the movie that I feel are effective, but also flawed. So the, the scene at the end, you know, where, um, where, where, <laughs> we <laughs> all where sigh in anticipation, takes, which yeah, is not in the book. That's not in the book. It not is in the book not in the book, but it, so it's one, there's two scenes that I can remember, um, explicitly that have this kind of like fantasy sort of, mm-hmm. um, uh, environment to them. And the one is the, where she's testifying before the, um, grand, grand jury, jury mm-hmm. And Khalil is sitting in the jury mm, box. Yeah. And I thought yeah. that was really beautiful. I yeah. thought it was really well yeah. done. And, you know, having the voiceover, having her sit there and not actually speak, but hearing her voice mm-hmm. and him yeah. sitting there looking at her. And by the way, he's, like, mesmerizing, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I can look at him all oh, day yeah. long. Absolutely. He's yeah. a yeah, really yeah. wonderful yeah. acting. Wonderful yeah. acting, just mm-hmm. wonderful on screen. And the other scene is that final scene where she, you know, stands in front mm-hmm. and shields um, her brother mm-hmm. from the police pointing guns. 
And I, I imagine, I, I rem, you know, it re, made me recall that, um, you guys know that image with the, um, where the woman is standing off against yes. the police yeah. officers yeah. and she's just like yes. this. And people love that image. Mm. And it has a kind of um, magical, kind of mm. fantastical right. sort of quality mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. And it seems like to me like that's one of the only solutions that people can imagine yep. is like a sort of right. magical mm. intervention to stop the bullets, right? And it's a feminine magical yeah. intervention. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Although I think that scene was interesting because I feel like that was one of the other critiques. And I read her, I read it like you did, that she was protecting Sakani both from the police and from King, mm-hmm. not just from King. Mm-hmm. But I feel like one of the critiques we read, they were basically like it kind of ends up focusing on black on black violence and not police violence. And that's actually not how I read this scene. That she was basically kind of saying that all the violence right. should kind of stop, yeah. right? I mean, the whole, like, the hate we give versus, like, the right. hate I give. Right. Um, so, but I think that was, like, I guess, you know, kind of thinking about that as, like, the other big thing that's come up, right? Like, in mm-hmm. terms of, and we talked about this when we talked about the book, right? Yeah. The focus on King, who's just this, like, all-around terrible guy, right? <laughs> and yeah. sort of, like, not only is he a gang dealer, he's also, like, abusive. And mm-hmm. there's, like, all these ways in which that gets done. So I was kind of curious about what you all thought about that um and the one thing that i did think about where i feel like there was like some pushback on this notion of like black um dysfunction or pathology was like when and i also don't remember this from the book you know when they're like i think in her bedroom and uh, maths uh, maverick starts talking about how like think about who's bringing in the drugs right like we yeah. don't know people with jets we don't know mm-hmm. and that totally reminded me of do you all remember the scene from boys in the hood where mm-hmm. they're like singing in front mm-hmm. of a uh-huh. billboard yeah. Yeah. and he and I, I don't remember Lawrence Fishburne's character but he's going to talk Furious about styles. the same yeah so he's going to talk about the same thing wow. so that, that was kind of like movie. I'm going to invoke that movie again in a second too excellent so, yeah. so I was just thinking about it I was like I think you know I think that also was like another maybe weak attempt from the movie to kind of think about structure mm-hmm. and think about you know, whiteness mm-hmm. and think about the ways in which these, are, these aren't sort of like internal black community problems, but right. are sort of problems that are structural. Well, I mean, two things. Uh, first, I still see that kind of as a flaw, the the whole thing about King, the focus on King. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. I did read that final scene a little bit like you did, that, you know, it was all the violence. Right. But, I mean, the scene following that is the scene of, you know, King being mm. put into the police car mm-hmm. and being led away. Right. And then, I don't know about you guys, but, like, the final, final scene where it's just, like, um, it goes down the side of the house. Like, you see um, Star in the house, and then the camera goes down the side of the house, and then shows the front of the house, and people are, like, just walking on the streets. And it looked like, a, you know, like a Disney movie or, like, I don't know, out of, like... But the movie begins with that, too. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. It it was it seemed like it's supposed to be, like, okay, everything's solved right, now, right? right like, right. this kind of, like, sort of really naive and even, you know... <laughs> King's uh, gone, and now we're yeah, King's Yeah, King's away, and don't worry about the bullets anymore, you know? Right. And I think I wanted to compare that to the end of Boys in the Hood mm. now. Boys in the Hood is one of my favorite movies. It has a lot of problems, and especially Mm -hmm. uh, problems around gender. Mm -hmm. Um, They're all Hollywood movies, so Hollywood movies are going to have problems, but this one in particular. (laughs) But one thing that I really, really like about that movie is that it doesn't purport to solve any problems. Like It doesn't offer you solutions Mm -hmm. in the way that The Hate You Give seems to offer. Mm -hmm. Like This is a pathway you can get somewhere, Mm -hmm. or this is a way that things can be um, transformed. Mm -hmm. And at the end of Boys in the Hood, when Ricky and Doughboy are sitting on the front porch, and Doughboy basically says, you know, they either don't care or don't won't show, don't know, whatever, about what's happening Mm -hmm. to us in the hood. Like, essentially, they don't care about us. Mm -hmm. I didn't see anything about my brother's murder on the news so it's mm-hmm. gonna go unheeded unknown mm-hmm. and nothing's gonna change mm-hmm. and to me that's a much more um honest Realistic. and yeah. radical mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. it's radical yeah. kind of message for a film mm-hmm. to deliver in the end yeah. that mm-hmm. we went through all this and nothing's changed right, right. whereas this movie seems almost uh, afraid to do that oh yeah i mean it's a yeah. totally different totally different kind of movie and i feel like a lot of those movies just right like even black Klansman, which i was sort of annoyed by in terms of like how it gets wrapped up with mm-hmm. this like you know actual white cop but also because there's like this moment where um okay i'm gonna spoil another movie uh- <laughs> Wait, I, ha- I haven't seen it <laughs> it's been out forever uh, oh man <laughs> wow so anyway. spoilers oh, we're lying oh so there's this so oh. there's a scene where, like, basically... How about I just take the headphones off while you talk about it? <laughs> I you think you'd still be able to hear her. Thank you. I'm, I'm just you mean just because we're sitting in the same room together? <laughs> anyway. I was gonna say, the whole thing about a man interrupting a woman... Oh, uh, my God. <laughs> 
Well, actually, that's not true. So basically, there's like a, you know, there's a woman and she's starting to say this like critique of the police force because the black police officer decides to stay in the police force. And he, you know, he's basically like, well, maybe we can change it from the inside. Mm -hmm. And she like starts this critique of like, well, it's actually like structure and it's the police structure. And then literally that's like they hear like a noise. And so it like cuts off and there's like this super stylish like thing where they go out and there's like you know the clans is like burning something but it was just so interesting to me that it like literally she's like starting this structural critique and it gets cut off that's to have this wow. like stylistic Intense. moment that i wow. guess like you know um anyway so i just thought it was like interesting to think about like how do we where do we end these things right and how do we mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. yeah what is radical about it like even in black panther right there's like a solution it's like hey right. we're gonna come right you know, rescue the poor black folks in Oakland with our technology. Right. And so, right, right, so right, like, right. You know, so what is it like our need for is, is that redemption? A, yeah, I mean, know? is that a feature of our political moment? Mm-hmm. You know, that the art that's being created now needs to offer? I mean, because I'm thinking about mm-hmm. the other um, classic and amazing film, another Spike Lee movie, Do the Right Thing. Mm-hmm. I was going to mention right? that. Go yeah. Ahead. yeah. Oh, well, and I didn't have anything super deep, just that, like, one of the articles we read compared the ending of The Hate You Give to Do the Right Thing Mm -hmm. and the kind of insistence that Spike Lee had in that movie to refuse answers, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? You have chaos and pain and violence at the end and because that is um, the the state in which that community finds itself. Mm -hmm. And here we get, the you know, like the king is put away and you get um, the sense that the community without king is absolutely fine, that there's no other kind of structural violence that is out Mm -hmm. there anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where it feels like they're doing the same thing that the book does, which is take the police Mm -hmm. and um, recuperate the police as a protective force because it is antiposed to to king to king mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. but also yeah. the character of the uncle right like who's right. like literally right. protecting right. star in these right. like particular moments right. um yeah. but I, I mean i you know i've been thinking a lot also about you know there's that scene when she I mean, she's like traumatized right like from having watched her friend get killed and she wakes up and she's mm-hmm. like throwing up and her dad's there mm-hmm. to help her mm-hmm. but also just thinking more generally about like how do we talk about trauma and what do we do about trauma right because i think mm-hmm. one of the things that happens is that trauma like activism gets individualized, right? Mm -hmm. That it's like this individual. Mm -hmm. And I feel like part of, you know, the pivot is like maybe to think about sort of collective healing. But I feel like what Mm -hmm. we don't talk a lot about is like collective organized resistance, right? And that's where Mm -hmm. we need to be going. Mm Because I think part of like, you know, think about like trauma and these things happening is that you're, it's like a normal and understandable reaction to a really terrible context. And what we should be doing then is like, changing that context, right? Mm-hmm. And sort of changing mm-hmm. structures, but mm-hmm. also not believing these things that they're telling you about yourself mm-hmm. that are sort of these stories that they tell you about yourself or your community, mm-hmm. things like that. And I feel like the collective healing is like, it's important, but I feel like it, I don't know, like I feel like sometimes we end up believing these stories enough that mm-hmm. healing is what we need rather than like resisting this like stories that they're telling about us. Does that make sense? Like, I don't know, I've been trying to like think through. I, I think absolutely. And jump in you guys if, if you want, but I think the different um, healing the narrative of healing is one that is easily made an individual issue yeah Mm -hmm. right so that's the whole problem that we've talked about before that we have with self-care right oh like you know oh this world is like really cruel everything's terrible oh you better do some self-care go home get a bubble bath (laughs) like what is right like (laughs) yeah down with bubble baths right bubble baths are great whiskey is fantastic (laughs) and and yet neither of those is going to like actually like you say like Mm -hmm. shift the conditions Mm -hmm. so how do we talk about collective healing as actually a kind of action and community making that is created through that resistance Mm -hmm. Um, and and I don't think we see that in the film but the family is where it's located which is also Mm -hmm. the problem because the nuclear family is never enough right? that wasn't me that was not me (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and if the nuclear family is going to be the location of healing and resistance I mean I feel like that is a a disavowal of larger communities. Yeah. I think right. there is that whole, right? In the end, aren't they like all helping clean up and like... But I thought that was food. only in their front yard. They yeah. were like planting they trees planting in trees their front in yard. Their, yes, that is true. <laughs> yeah, no, and, it and it was like... the family. It was the reaffirmation of this nuclear family. Oh, right, right, it was yeah. the nuclear family. I mean, in there the, is a scene... In the book, we get a little bit okay, There's okay, a scene okay. where the, like, Mav is with Mr. Lewis and yeah, the other guy looking at the store. But they're not doing anything. They're just looking at it. They're just like, oh, yeah. this happened. Oh, yeah, this really like, sucks. That burned. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
Yeah, I mean, that also, yeah. Oh no, I was gonna say. I mean, they do. So they do come in and help. Um, you know, help to get Star and Seven out of the out. store yeah. at the end. But yeah. I mean, if you're thinking about, there are these sort of moments of community assistance, but they're not like um, organized right. sort of um, movement. They're kind reactive. Of stuff. They're reactive, right? right? And they're, the one movement there is is that everybody comes together, bands together to snitch on King. King. Right. Right. Which so the right. shift from the book in that case was and. Again, maybe I'm remembering it wrong, but wasn't there like, you know, Mav kind of gets together actually both people yes. who work for King as yes. well as people mm-hmm. like who, I, I no, can't another remember. Gang. That's right. Another gang. Right. Yes, and so right, he right. like brokers this kind of truce peace right. and yeah. peace agreement. So they could go to the protests. Exactly. Like that, right? And like. we lose all of that kind That's of community activism. I the about way- that. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, it doesn't. I don't want to be like totally cynical and a jerk, but I mean, it, it just doesn't fit with the Hollywood narrative. Right. I mean, right. this goes back to. So, what's the Hollywood narrative like? If this is like the Hollywood take on Black Lives Matter, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, what would you? What is like the takeaway from Hollywood about Black Lives Matter? You think? Well, it has to be that um, that protests are uh, successful, even if there's tear gas and you have to run away, <laughs> <laughs> and. <laughs> That if you, you throw back, if you so. find your voice <laughs> on top of a car, <laughs> everything's gonna be fine. Todd, what? And that at the end of a movie, you have to feel good and you can't feel bad and you can't be confused. And okay, like, you plant a tree. Right, you plant a tree, and your yard's awesome now. Okay, I, ha- I have a few more. Okay, okay. <laughs> it helps. To be really beautiful, right? Light skin, oh, yes. right? Light skin, right. Yes. That's yeah, right. That's, that's you know right. that makes you an especially good yeah. voice yes. for yeah. a right. movement. Yeah. And if you have a Get- white ally boyfriend, who's oh, like, oh, oh, oh. I, we oh. didn't even talk about the oh. white boyfriend. Oh. Oh, probably because I feel like his role is toned down in the movie, which I appreciated. But he isn't like his role. <laughs> And by the way, how old is that guy? Like, like he looked like he was 27. <laughs> when they're in the limousine She's together, I was like, please stop this. <laughs> this is a crime in action. This is happening before our eyes. And I have another thing to say. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm about kidding. the boyfriends? No, no. This is about the... This, so this is a filmmaking thing. And maybe I'm wrong because I'm not a filmmaker. And, you know, George <laughs> Tillman Jr. has made films before. But Issa Rae is like the darkest skinned person oh, yeah. in the Issa, film. Issa, Issa Rae. Yes. Why Thank does you. she not get good light in the film? Yeah. I feel like uh, she's not lit well. Like every scene she's in, I'm like, I can't see her face. Because she's we like, use all of our lighting budget on Black Panther. <laughs> <laughs> There's no more money left for good lighting. Is this the, the black, black lighting budget? <laughs> <laughs> what budget? Oh man, I think that is a crime. It's yeah. a crime. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Okay, so what are some of the other Hollywood lessons here, about, Crystal? About Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Or the movement, I guess. Come back to me because I'm still thinking about, <laughs> still thinking about the, the black Wait, lighting we, budget. Can we talk a little bit about the white boyfriends? Yeah, we can talk. Yeah, about sure. the, so I was in a movie theater with just one other person. Um, and the loudest audible like reaction was when you know that moment when they like get out of the car after prom and mm-hmm. he's gonna like meet mm-hmm. uh, the dad and she's like doing the what do they the, even call the it the black test or whatever I, I don't test. know what they called it um, but yeah you know and she's oh, like, right, the mac right, and right. cheese right right and the, the side oh, yeah. so like yeah. I didn't even know there was this other person in the theater I thought I was just there by myself <laughs> and then like that happens and this person that I'm racializing as white I'm not obviously sure, like, burst out laughing. And I was like, what? What happened? <laughs> I thought, I thought it's, you were going to say... but not that funny. Yeah, I, I thought that person might say, like, I like breadcrumbs. <laughs> Put it on top. <laughs> I thought I was like... That was also another bizarre scene, but I also thought at, like, that moment, maybe it was sort of a release of tension for the audience, which mm-hmm. I thought was kind of, like, an interesting thing to kind of put in there. So, yeah. yeah. Well... <laughs> yeah, I mean, you might ask it like, what does that scene? I mean, do. I yeah, what does that scene do? Yeah. I mean, I guess I, I don't when know. We how get they're... to see Mav as a fa- a protective father, right? Right. I think he's a reverse go... racist, <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't go too far. I mean, I think no. we see in the end that he was just like doing like the stereotypical conventional like right. mother or do- uh, father, right. you know, keeping any mm-hmm. boy from ever touching his daughter thing. And of course, like you're a good girl and all that kind of stuff in the end, 
But uh, yeah, I don't. I guess I don't see how. Um, I don't see how their relation or what role their relationship is supposed to play. I mean, he's helping at the end. He's you know in danger with them and mm-hmm. blah blah blah. Actually, no, he doesn't. Doesn't he leave? She tells him you can take uh, Kenya and um, Sakani home or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In the yeah. book, he stays. In the book, exactly. he stays. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, is it about like this kind of racial solidarity? I mean, he has mm-hmm. these things. I don't mm-hmm. know. Okay, so I have a radical thought. Okay. So in many ways, this is a coming of age movie, Um, as all of us have pointed out. But Anita, you said it very well at the beginning. Um, You know, we have a main character star who is code switching. Um, She is uncomfortable with that code switching, but she doesn't understand like how to find herself yet, Mm -hmm. you know, at the very Mm -hmm. beginning. And Khalil's death sends her on kind of a quest to actually like kind of connect the two parts of herself, like Mm -hmm. to figure out who she really is. And that coming of age in a movie that did not have the political... Um, background, because in some ways it very much is background um, Mm -hmm. for much of the film of Black Lives Matter, that coming of age is sexual, right? It is about, like, finding your sexual self and trusting in a relationship. And so there's a key scene that's in the book and is also in the movie where it starts out that way, right? Where he pulled out a condom, she wasn't ready, Mm -hmm. she's like, who do you think I am? And they have to start having these intense discussions about, well, when are we ready? Mm -hmm. What does that look like? No, you don't have an intense conversation. You just make your girlfriend a dope beat and dance a little bit. It's all good. I forgive you. Right. My point being, we have the sexual coming of age sitting alongside this kind of racial coming of age. Mm, Um, And I just think that it's like a clumsy narrative around that, even Mm. though it's, you know, not, what's the word I want? Like, I mean, it's not like that hasn't happened for many women to have to have those mm-hmm. two coming of ages. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess as maybe a final um, ending, because we should wrap up, are there movies that we would, I mean, so you, you sort of mentioned Boys in the Hood and kind of its ending as mm-hmm. a, mm-hmm. you know, sort of a way to maybe think more complexly about not having happy endings or do the right thing. Are there mm-hmm. other ones we can think of that in terms of kind of thinking about? You should have given us some time to think about it. Yeah, those. I just thought about it just because we were thinking about it. So maybe we'll come back to it. Um, yeah. But it just made me think about that. But any... Maybe our maybe our listeners could help oh, us yeah. with some Let suggestions for... Yeah. Sort of... Yeah. Movies that don't have happy endings. I mean, the thing, the only movie that comes immediately to mind is Fruitvale Station. Oh, oh yes. yeah. 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 Based on a true story. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All That'd right. So we may or may not have talked about the movie that we really wish that it was as opposed to <laughs> <laughs> the movie that it was uh, right. similarly with the, you know, with the book. Um, so yeah, so we'll, can we go around and maybe say what else we're reading or listening to or watching, depending on what people are up to. Okay. Um, and I can start, and I just, uh, started Tommy Orange's There, There, which are sort of a collection of stories about Native Americans living in Oakland. Mm-hmm. And it was actually really interesting because a lot of the movies that I saw this summer were about sort of black community in Oakland. So it's been kind of interesting to read a book focused on indigenous communities there. Um, and so far, it's really good, and I'm only about a couple of stories in, but I'm looking forward to kind of uh, seeing <clears throat> seeing how it goes. Cool. So I am um, starting to read Nicole Chung's memoir called All You Can Ever Know, and she's a Korean-American adoptee. Um, and so the memoir is basically working through... Um, Uh, questions of belonging both to her white family and um, it details her search for her birth parents. I haven't gotten so far in the memoir that uh, she's found them yet, but up to now, like, it's just really um, lyrical and in her description of, like, why you might feel the need to search for parents, birth parents, um, and how having her own child is part of, like, this reframing that she had to do of Mm -hmm. where she belonged and who she belonged to. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I'm not, um, once again, I'm not reading anything because I'm swamped. Um, <laughs> She's reading stuff for class. Yes. Yeah. yes. But I did just download a new album mm-hmm. that I think everyone should take a listen to. And it's um, uh, an album by the uh, Black Youth 100 Project. And oh. they just um, put out an album called The Black Joy Experience. Mm. Um, and it's an album with freedom songs and liberation chants. Oh, cool. oh that sounds so, awesome. Um, yeah. Um, from contemporary black freedom movements centered around Black Lives Matter. Um, and so... It, so far, I've listened to about half of it, and it's really great. And it features people like Charlene Carruthers and Mary mm-hmm. Hooks. And so, like, really, um, you know, uh, some of the, the contemporary leaders of today's Black Lives cool. Matter movement, but partic- particularly um, 
uh, some of our black queer young leadership. So it's the it's called the Black Joy Experience, Black Joy. and you can get it wherever music is streaming. So like Apple Spotify? Music, Spotify. Excellent. Yeah. Um. So I am reading uh Danzy Senna's new novel, oh. which is called New People. I didn't know she had a new novel. Yeah. Um. And I was a huge fan of Caucasia. Mm-hmm. Um. That's one of my favorite favorite books, and I have taught that a lot, and so I was really anxious and anticipating this book and um i started reading it uh, a couple of weeks ago and couldn't put it down and then like Good life intervened and i haven't been reading it for a couple of days maybe four or five days because of things that have been going on but i can't wait to get back to it it's it's basically about um a young couple um both i think they're both mixed race and they're about to be married and the the woman um, becomes a sort of like infatuated with this um, poet that she sees uh, performing and she so far she's just like following him everywhere <laughs> things I don't know it's, stalking yeah, it's, it's, sort of like, like, it's not much of a plot so far but I mean it's <laughs> totally fascinating and I'm totally taken by this character mm-hmm. and um, I you know I found myself at like 2.30 in the morning being like I gotta go to bed because <laughs> I gotta get up and teach tomorrow but um, so far really really compelling really great cool all right. Um, so in end with, obviously, the book we're going to discuss next on the podcast is Homegoing by Yad Yazzi. So look for that um, in about a month. Um, and, you know, please subscribe to us on iTunes and other places. And if you have any comments for us that you'd like to share about our discussions, find us on Facebook. You know, if you really love the movie, let us know why. Uh, uh, but, yeah, as always, thank you for listening. And cheers. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 is at its truest when we can all see, bringing black people, our people together to celebrate the fullness of what we've created and where we've been. A commitment to confronting the state until all of our people are free. Celebrate our music now and forever as we get free. This is the Black Joy This has been another episode of The Drip Recorded in St. Paul, Minnesota. Shoutouts to the Black Youth Project 100. The album is a Black Joy experience. Check it out. Shoutout to Heritage Tea House, our home, when we're not recording at my home, which we were tonight. We'll be back in one month with a new episode on Yaji Yasi's Homegoing. Grab that, and we will see you next time. Peace. And if the hippies and the yippies... And if the hippies and the yippies And if the hippies and the yippies